Balancing is going to be different for different people. Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Well, hello, everyone. This is Mark Goldman, the CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. In this episode, I was very happy to be able to schedule some time with Chris Carmona of Shriver Carmona and Company in San Antonio. They're a CPA firm that's been around about six years, and I don't want to spoil the story for you, but just to give you a little teaser, Chris was in his mid-30s when he was approached by Derek, his now partner, to look at the possibility of buying an accounting practice. Less than six months later, and one SBA loan later, they were in business together. Since then, they doubled the size of their practice, and Chris has some really good insight that he's going to share about business and then also about life in general in this podcast. He's very involved in the nonprofit community as well, and we get into that a little later in the show. Make sure you stay around till the end. Chris actually shares some insight about his family as well, which, which I found very interesting and very beneficial to listeners also. So without further ado, here we go. Hello, Chris. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you, Mark. It's a Friday morning. The weather's finally cooling off, and so it's, it's starting to feel like definitely in the Christmas season, but I appreciate you allowing me to be a part of your podcast and to connect with your listeners, and just very humble and grateful for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you taking the time out as well. I know what you mean about the weather. This, this is a lot nicer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I've been hoping to get you on the show because I felt like it would be a, a good opportunity for some of our more entrepreneurial listeners, if you will, to get some insight into what it takes to start and run their own firm, if that's one of their goals. And and I figured you know, an added bonus would just be your nonprofit involvement because I know you're involved in the nonprofit community as well. So I usually get started with the earlier parts of our guest career, but before we get to that... I think it'd be good to just learn a little bit about your firm, Shriver and Carmona and Company. Can you tell us a little bit about Shriver Carmona? Absolutely. Shriver Carmona and Company, we started our firm in 2010. Uh, actually, yesterday was our six-year anniversary. So 2010, December 1, we acquired a retiree's practice. We had this opportunity really through my business partner, Derek Shriver, who reached out to me and just asked me in a simple email, do you want to buy a practice? You know, I said... Wow, that's a pretty loaded question. What are you thinking? And so the conversation got started there, and and there's been no there's been no look back or turn turning around. Because there be some things we could change, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the fun of the ups and downs of starting your business. But our firm is you know six years strong. We started with six employees. We are now up to eleven employees, uh, including the two partners. 
And we're about to add two more folks within the first quarter of 2017. So we'll be up to 13 folks. So had some, had some great support here in San Antonio. We're able to grow our business, have a great team. And so it's allowed us to, to be successful in that regard. Our focus is uh, we're, we're a full-service accounting firm. We, we offer audit, attestation services, assurance, business advisory, offer tax services, as well as accounting services. And the side that I oversee and focus on is mainly our audit side, assurance side of the business, as well as business advisory. So on my side, the side that I oversee on the audit side, we most of our clients, about 80% of our client base is in the nonprofit arena and the nonprofit organization. And so that's kind of what we focus on in, in that side of the business. As far as the bookkeeping and tax service, the accounting services, we uh, focus on different industries, anywhere from medical practices, medical groups, to retail, to restaurant, to just mom and pop shops. So we've, we, we get to see a lot of different businesses, a lot of successes, a lot of opportunities for growth for our clients. And so that's been a lot of fun to be able to be a part of their growth and their success. So had you and Derek kicked around this idea before he sent you that email or, or was this just totally unexpected? It was completely unexpected and <laughs> um, completely unexpected. Derek and I, prior to working together and starting this firm, we had never worked together before. Oh, We knew of each other and I wouldn't even say we were even friends, you know, in, in the true sense. And, and six years later, I can say he is not only a friend, but I consider him a brother. I mean, we, we've come extremely close, of course, ups and downs in the business, but it was just, it's a marriage, as I tell folks. And we treat it as a, it is a true partnership in the sense that we, you know, we have our battles, we have our moments, we have our, but, you know, we stay consistent in what we do. And so complete surprise back then. And I was surprised that I was so open to it just because of my tendency to be, of course, most CPAs are pretty conservative and, and I was with a good firm at the time and there were some growth opportunities there. And But as I kind of looked at it, the entrepreneur spirit kind of kicked in and, and, and I decided, you know, this is something that, that I should look into. So that was that. So y'all hadn't worked together. He emails you. Obviously, y'all knew of each other, but he emails you. How long did it take before the sale was done and, and you guys were in business together? few months or did this process go on over a year? Well, the process itself went on probably roughly around six months and uh, five to six months, you know, just really looking at putting together a business plan, looking and meeting with the seller. And not only that, the seller actually had four other potential buyers. So, you know, making sure that we were looking at the structure of our offer and, and then also working with a bank that was familiar with uh, such acquisitions in the CPA world, their regulations, their rules. And not only that, this was an SBA loan that we purchased the practice with. And so SBA mm. just added different layers of complexity and, and, and regulations and paperwork. And so it really drug out the process uh, longer than anticipated. I actually resigned from my previous position in uh, September 15th of that year in 2010, we didn't actually close till late November. And so I was incomeless for a couple of months and uh, <laughs> the nerves started kind of rattling in the house, but we had to stay disciplined and focused and just, just believe that this was going to happen. And lo and behold, God had his plan and, and this went through. So we have not turned back and looked back. 
we look back now, but it's only say, wow, what, we had no idea what we were doing. And I'm sure six years from now, we're going to say the same thing. Six years ago, we had no idea what we were doing. And what I mean by that, you know, because I know you're going to have different listeners listening, is that as you grow in different things, it's not only the accounting career and focusing and staying on top of the regulations and our standards, but it's also knowing how to run a business. And you learn, you don't, that's something you just don't learn in school or you don't learn by picking up a book. Those are great resources and tools, but you really learn in, in, in kind of doing it and, and having guidance and mentors and, and folks that, you, you know, that believe in you and you trust in them and, and ha- having them you know, let you know, have you thought about this or have you thought about that and no, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. So it's still a learning process for us, but it, it's, it's about getting better at what we're doing, not only as business owners, but we also truly believe that we're also, you know, for our team members, we're here to, to it, it's a much bigger responsibility. They have yeah. families that rely on their, their income, and it becomes much bigger than us. And, and so you start to realize that at times you put on a mode of get it done, do what it takes, get it done. And as you learn from those mistakes, and you start to move forward and get wiser, if you will, and folks guiding you, you, you get better at what you're doing, but then you'll ultimately fall into some other Cracks just because the rules, the regulations, whether it's labor laws or whether it's our own standards or whether it's HR rules and things of that sort, you always have to stay on top of these things. But I think being business owners and providing a service to our clients allows us to also think as business owners in providing advice to clients and not just being their accountants. And I think that's the true kind of crux of what we, we want to be is, is more than just your accountant. It's being your trusted advisor. It's being someone you call when, when you're having cash flow issues or someone you call when you simply don't, can't pay your bill and, and, you, and that you have the confidence you can call us and tell us, you know what, I'm having some cash crunches and, and I can't, I need to either go on a payment plan or just having that trust. And that's when you start to build the trust with your clients and them trusting you and what you're doing for them. And then that's when things really start to blossom from a relationship standpoint. I agree. I agree totally. One one of my favorite books from a business owner standpoint is called The E Myth. Have you run across that yet? Or before? No, no. What it, what is that book? Basically, the, it's called The E Myth. E for entrepreneur myth. And the the crux of the book is that when you're when you're doing something for a living and then start a business in that field, starting a business is entirely different because the the book tells the story of a baker. So she's baking pies. Well. When she starts a bakery, though, her job is no longer making the pies. Her job is running the bakery. And I, I find that that's, that's so true because your job becomes not doing the technical aspects 100% of the time. You have to run the business, particularly when you have employees you know, like you guys do. You've got, you've got quite a, a group over there, 11 people that, that depend on your good judgment <laughs> yeah. to, to run the business. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm curious. It sounds like you were already married at the time when y'all started the business. Did you have kids? Uh, let's see. Yes. Yes. We had uh, two, okay. our, our daughter, Sophia and Daniel, our son. And at that time, I guess uh, Sophia would have been about four or five and Daniel okay. would have been about two or three. Okay. You really did take a leap of faith then because you went into business with someone you were acquainted with, quit your job, and you know, six months later, you're you're in business with someone <laughs> that you sort of just met. <laughs> God had a plan, definitely. Yes, he did. 
So, so what do you enjoy most about being an entrepreneur or having your own firm? What I enjoy most is that every day I'm, I'm able to get up and never look back. I've had moments in, in careers and other jobs where, you know, the dreaded 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday when you're, oh, my goodness, my work day starts tomorrow and you start stressing about what you need to do and, you know, just your work week. For the past six years, I've never felt that way. I have not had that feeling. And so it's waking up every day knowing that I've been blessed with another day to continue our mission of not only providing for each of our families and our employees, but for our clients and, and what adventure is going to happen today for us. You know, what new client may we, we come across? What new issue or problem will we be able to help a client work through? And then just the day-to-day coming into a great team, the atmosphere the the culture is just a great vibe walking in and knowing that we have people who care about the client's needs and are here to serve these clients. And what I'm able to do as a partner is be a servant leader to our people. And so that's what I love every day, being able to wake up, know that there's going to be challenges today and, and be able to face those challenges head on. And in some cases, you know, in most cases head on. Sometimes you want to shy away from some of them, but you, know, you just have to know you have to plug through. And as long as you're staying consistent to yourself and what your mission is, as well as I use the term fair, just being fair. You know, what is the right thing to do? What is fair? You know, is this fair? And just having that same consistency and having the discipline to, to, to continue through. So that's been the, the fun part about this business venture and, and moving forward. It sounds like you're pleased or, you know, at least, yeah, pleased, happy, content with the, the culture and the atmosphere that you guys have been able to put together in the office. And, and I know that comes from your team. You know, what, what do you attribute that to? What, what do you attribute your culture to or, or being able to put together the team that you've got? I think so. I know that's a hard uh, question. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is. And, and I, I think if, as a leader in this organization, along with Derek, is that you know, as long as we stay consistent in what we do and how we treat our people and, and we're always looking out for, and we're going to miss the boat sometimes because we get, we get carried away with just the day-to-day operations or, or the opportunities to business develop. So we're not always going to get it right. But I think the, for the most part is being consistent in how we treat everybody here, allowing them to, to be, you know, have open communication, transparency, holding each other accountable you know, creating that culture of really, it may sound cliche-ish, but building a great team. And more and more, I'm finding that that is really the true goal in, in such service industry that we're in, is building that team, that they're working together to accomplish no matter what it takes, to help each other out, to continue to display what our values, what the mission is in, in fulfilling the needs of the client but also each other. I mean, we hear a lot about the client and servicing this client and thinking about the client, but I think even internally, folks, you know, I love to hear a group of them going out and having lunch together, and they do, it, they, they do it more and more quite frequently, and it's great. That means they're building camaraderie between each other, which then leads to building trust, which then leads to saying, you know what, I know this person's going to help me out or get my back in any situation that I may have trouble with. That's, that's very key. And, and what has helped me kind of actually identify some of those factors is, is recently reading Patrick Lencioni's book, The Ideal Team Player. 
and that that is a that is a great book. I recommend it. Any of Patrick Lencioni's books are great, but the great the ideal team player has really opened my eyes to what does that mean for the ideal team player. But then coupling that with his other book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with the five dysfunctions. I hadn't heard of the ideal team player. Thank you very much. Oh, I'll have pleasure. to pick that up. Thank you. You know, in, in the spirit of helping anybody that you know might be thinking about acquiring a firm or starting a firm from scratch or that kind of thing, if you think back six years, is there anything that you would have done differently, even something minor that you can think of? Anything differently? This may not be minor, but I think I would have, before taking on the venture, I think I would have started to seek out mentors that have done the same thing. And, okay. and, and ask the questions, you know, how did you go about purchasing and acquiring this business? We leaned heavily on a business broker who specializes in CPA practices and kind of guiding us through that. And he was great, but that's one side of the equation. You know, has this gentleman ever purchased a practice? I'm not sure. That question was never asked. You know, there's been other firms that have either, and, and not only just acquiring a practice, but even starting a, a, a practice from scratch and building it, I think I would have seeked out more guidance on that, thinking back now and accessing that advice. Would the outcome have been any different? I, I don't know. It could have turned a different way, but I don't think it would have, the outcome today of us moving forward and, and growing this practice wouldn't have changed. But I think the perspective of beginning the practice and being a little more organized in starting the practice would, would have been extremely beneficial. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. It, it really does. So it sounds like you you had obviously or you were using a broker, which that's a start. At least you had some advice in that area. But yes, it, it makes a lot of sense to to get some external advice as well. Yeah. Well, I noticed online that you've been involved uh, at least at the board level with several organizations, KIPP and Guide Dogs of Texas and the Nonprofit Council itself, and and a few others. I guess what what have you most enjoyed? about that level of, of involvement with those organizations? What I most enjoy is, is being able to be a part of, of a mission that I'm passionate about as well. And, and that's always going to be key. And I recommend every professional who has a skill set to offer, this is a talent that you have that you can give back to the community. And, but, but you have to align yourself with, with the mission and what the values are of the organization. My favorite part of, of being involved at this level with any nonprofit organization is really being able to apply business principles, like for-profit business principles, to nonprofit thinking. Although I made a mistake once in saying that nonprofits are the same as for-profits, and, and that's not the truth. I mean, the shareholders are different. The missions are, are different. So I've changed it to say it's business principles, for-profit business principles that can be applied to help guide nonprofits in certain things like leveraging debt. Do you do it or do you not? Leasing versus buying, you know, those sort of, those sort of things in, in just business uh, that you can apply across for-profit and nonprofit. So that's been, that's been a lot of fun. Plus, I mean, with, with KIPP, seeing just the, the first class of KIPsters, as we call them, graduating from college now. And actually, our first KIPP graduate through KIPP San Antonio is an accounting major from UTSA. And, um, ah, beautiful. and uh, yeah, she's doing great work and, and a lot of great opportunities. So it's just exciting to see now when KIPP started, 
development because the mission is getting our kids to and through college and to see that first class actually graduate from college or have some of the members graduate from college. And then on guide dogs, I mean, you, you can't go wrong when there's beautiful labs involved. So, you know, seeing the puppies, seeing, but knowing that this four-legged creature is allowing someone the freedom, mobility, and independence for, for a blind Texan. And, and just thinking about that melts my heart only because it, it's amazing that bond between our guide dogs and, and, and our clients. Well, we'll make sure we, we include links in the, in the notes that go online, the show notes, if you will, to both those organizations. So if anybody has an interest in, in getting involved, that they can approach them as well. So it, it sounds like you were with Kip from the beginning when they started in San Antonio. Is that correct? No, I wasn't with them from the beginning. It was kind of a, okay. a turning point at Kip when I, when I joined. And what I mean by a turning point is really from a fundraising aspect and starting to build and implement the model of the future plan and strategic plan in place. So prior to me, to me joining Kip, Kip had been in existence probably for about five, six years by that time. Okay. But still very much. And, and so I could kind of attribute it to, okay, where we are today as our firm, right, five, six years later. And so what are the next steps to for strategy, for sustaining growth, and meeting the ultimate, keeping the end in mind. You know, what is the ultimate goal? Okay. Well, now, a lot of your career has been spent with nonprofits, also on the audit side. What advice would you have for a nonprofit, either either from the financial standpoint or possibly from the leadership standpoint? You know, what, what general business advice would you have for a nonprofit that's, that's looking to grow or, or maybe they're just starting up? What are your thoughts? There's a lot of advice. I'll keep it short. And it, um, <laughs> it, it's really, you know, surrounding yourself with folks, again, who are passionate about the mission, but they can bring a different skill than what you bring as a founding, you know, president, CEO, as a founding even board member of these nonprofit organizations and keeping, again, I'm going to use the term keeping the end in mind, because ultimately, you know, I would think a founder would would want to roll off and see this sustain long term, right? I mean, that that's the goal of nonprofits. Now, in a perfect world, we wouldn't want these nonprofits around because they're serving such issues in our community that we wish to weren't around, right? But, you know, sure. the, the fact is, is that they, you know, you, you start a nonprofit because you, you feel you see a need from a personal standpoint, right? Maybe you had a family member that had this issue or maybe you're dealing with it personally and you, you look around and seek and there's no, there's no guidance, there's no help. And so, you know, it, so then thus began the, the research to say, okay, I want to start a nonprofit and how we're going to set this up, which you don't want to run into or what you want to avoid early on by building a good set of board members to help guide you and be your advisors because you want to keep the mission in mind first, right? It, that's what always needs to be in the first leading the charge is the mission, not a personal mission, if that's making sense. So it, it's about knowing that there's going to be some tough decisions to make, but as long as you have these trusted advisors around the table and keeping the mission in mind, the mission of the organization in mind, you're going to continue, you're going to be able to, to grow and move forward. And you might've heard this in the nonprofit world, but really trying to mitigate early on what is sometimes called founder syndrome and li- letting your baby go. Right? It, it's hard. You started it. And, and, and this, not only for nonprofits, but you see this in businesses as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you. I, I know a lot, of, a lot of accounts have an interest in, in getting involved in, in boards, and I can see what you mean about the founder syndrome. I, I think it's always good for 
the board members to be that guiding group in terms of staying you know, true to the mission. So, no, I completely agree. Well, the final questions I end every podcast with, we're about 20 minutes into this. The final questions <laughs> that I end every podcast with, the first one, what has been your proudest moment? Well, I'm, I'm going to first say cliche-ish is, you know, obviously the birth of all three of my children and the fact that God has allowed me to unite with my wife, Anna, to have our lives together. Now, that's going to be my cliche, and I have, since this is a podcast that they will be listening to, I have to give their shout-out to, and let's know that they are my proudest moment. Um, <laughs> from, a, from a career aspect, it's really kind of the, the start of the firm, but there's a particular moment in going through that process. You know, you, I had mentioned that it was about a five-month five process from the time Derek sent me the email to the time we actually closed on the loan and said, now we're in debt, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> it was that, that particular moment of, of actually closing on the loan and walking out of the bank after closing on the loan, not thinking about how much debt I just entered into, but thinking about the possibilities. And that day, it was November 29th, 2010, which would have been or is the birthday of my grandfather, who is my hero. And he was a business owner, self-made business owner, only had an eighth grade graduation, only had his graduation up to eighth grade, started grocery stores in Houston. Just someone that I've always admired in the way he approached things, not only in his business, but also in in the community. I lived with my grandparents for quite a few years when I was younger. And so I was involved, or I would see them in church around the community being really involved, which is probably why I feel it's part of my, my passion is to be involved in the nonprofit community. But walking out that day, knowing that it was my grandfather's birthday, he had already had passed away. Probably this would have been, I don't know, four years prior. But I was wearing his cufflinks to that close. And, oh, and um, that, you know, being able to essentially represent my grandfather and all that he instilled in me, on that day of signing the loan. Now, he might have been turning over in his grave because he was a man who didn't believe in debt. So he probably didn't <laughs> agree that I was signing, you know, he probably didn't agree that I was signing, you know, signing some loan papers. But knowing, and, and after that had happened, a transaction actually went through that is officially our practice on his birthday wearing his cufflinks. That was an extremely proud moment for me. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's, that's, that is beautiful. That, that is amazing. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you just had to take a pause there. <laughs> yes. Well, on the flip side, tell us about a mistake you've made and of course what you learned from it. And, and frankly, the more colossal the better. Yes. Mistakes. There's been a lot. There's been plenty. I'm just like, my my wife has said more on the on the personal side than on the business side because you know, I'm a, you know, as men, we always make mistakes. Sure. You know, I I, ha- I have to add a little bit. I, I when I was thinking about this question in particular, I think back of one thing that I wish I could have changed, and, and this had to, this is more on a personal level, but it's actually the way I proposed to my wife, which is a whole other story. But I won't have to do that again because she's going to be my wife forever. Now, I may have to repeat and maybe surprise her by, you know, re-proposing to her at some point, and I hope to do it better next time. But that was, that was quite a disaster. I didn't go as planned. So if I may, I'm going to share a little story about that, because when sure. I think back about how that went through, I mean, I wanted to surprise her. One of the toughest things I had to do was go ask her parents for 
her hand in marriage. It wasn't a very romantic proposal. I was working in the hotel business at that time, and I would tell her stories about someone coming to the hotel and and asking us to put roses and get flower bouquets, and they're going to propose to someone. So I'm sure in her mind, she's like, wow, Chris does this for his guests. He's going to do something really, really nice for me. And that wasn't the case. I wanted to be an ordinary night, and then I would like to cook dinner together and share a, a bottle of wine. And, and so I, said, I wanted to be a regular night. I wanted to catch her off guard. Well, I did catch her off guard because when, when I actually, before I asked her to propose to me, I just told her, I started out with these words, Mark, and I never started anything out with these words. But my words were, I know I promised you when we, when we first were serious about our relationship that I would never lie to you. <laughs> not, a good, not a good way to start out any conversation. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And so I had to tell her, well, I have to apologize, but I, I did say a little fib. But what I was leading up to, Mark, is that I actually, when I went to go buy her engagement ring, I actually had to go out of town to buy it. And so I had to make up a story to get out of town. So I, I essentially told her fib, right? Yes. And so, yes. Um, so I had, but I was leading up to why I did it, and it was because I had this ring for her. But by this time, she's crying, bawling. I popped the oh. question. She's still crying. She's crying, and then we hug each other, and then I realized about 15, 20 minutes later, I said, you never said yes or no. Like, you never answered me. So that was quite a disaster. So I, I promised her that I'm going to have to, gonna have to uh, redo that one. I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but I'll, I'll try to catch her off guard again. <laughs> oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes, we, <laughs> sometimes we use subtitles for uh, the podcast. I think I'm going to put how not to propose to your wife. <laughs> I that would is, agree with that one 110%. Wow. wow. I, I'll have to go review the records, but that might be my favorite mistake that anyone shared so far on the podcast. <laughs> that's, that's a doozy. That's a doozy. Yeah. Well, third question. Who's been the biggest mentor so far in your career? Well, outside of just you know my involvement with, with wanting to get involved in nonprofits, and as mentioned, my grandfather being my hero, I mean, he, he hasn't mentored me in my career but he's always kind of sitting on my shoulder and, and I'm remembering what would he do or how would he handle it? You know, as, as life goes, you're going to have different mentors and I recommend, and, and I don't really have a mentor. I've been thinking about this a lot when I say someone that I meet periodically with from a career standpoint, purely a career standpoint. So I'm, I'm looking into that, but you, you want to have a mentor. And, and as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, even from the beginning of starting our business, I wish I had, sat down with someone or a couple of folks and pick their brain about starting a, a practice or even just a business or even acquiring a, a practice or business. But I would have to say currently, I kind of refer to this individual as my mentor of, of life. That's my uncle, Mark Carmona. And the reason why I, I pick, I kind of refer to him as the, my mentor of life is that he's, he's been successful in his, in his respective industry. He was the CEO most recently or his his last bout in the nonprofit world recently was with the CEO of Haven for Hope. And I think that was the other kind of side of charity and wanting to give back and seeing kind of what he does in the community and what he was doing. But the other side of it is I really admire the way that he balanced life with his kids and his family and his wife, along with such a demanding career. And so that's why I say that my mentor of life, because it, he, I could really see he balanced all that extremely well for what it meant for him because balancing is going to be different for different people. But because I'm in a similar situation where I have 
three young kids. He had two young kids at the time that both of them were one's in college now, but going still going through his career, a wife who has a demanding career, and then he has a demanding career. So finding time that balance with his family, with his kids, with his career and being successful with it and being available, you know, at, at Haven in particular, always, but also for himself, finding that balance to find time just for himself. And, and so that's why I've kind of, I've kind of want to model how I approach all that I'm involved with, nonprofits, at my church, with my family, and with a growing business. And for personal time, how do I model that to feel that I'm balanced as well? So that's been my mentor of life, if you will. Overall, career-wise, and what has really boosted me this last year is a group by the name of C12. And although it's not one mentor, I have a group of uh, advisory board members that has just catapulted my approach to business, how I think about business and, and leadership, and, and that by far over the last year has been the greatest form of mentorship, if you will. Wonderful. It sounds like you had some great role models in your own family, which I'm sure has helped you succeed along the way. That's beautiful. Well, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received that you may want to pass on to our listeners? There's been a lot I haven't listened to, and so I end up remembering those. Wow, I should have done this. But I have to say that just as in life, because I think the position that I'm, that I'm in today, as you mentioned, because I've had some, some great role models in my family and in my life to allow to push me through. And I'm going to get a little personal here, but, but I would say that the best advice is actually comes from my grandfather and basically saying, you're going to graduate from college. You're going to get a college degree. I was the first grandchild to graduate from college out of, uh, let's see how many grandchildren they have. And this is on my dad's side. So probably about 10 grandchildren. I was the first to graduate from college. Prior to that, I had three out of the five aunts and uncles or six aunts and uncles that had graduated from college. And my grandparents didn't. So I just see that they've always kind of have always pushed every single one of us to, to get a higher education and to graduate from college. And a lot of it stems from the way either they retreated when they were in school or the opportunities that they didn't have because of a lack of education. And I'm seeing that more and more in, in why this is a really important as, as I try to instill my kids as well that I know college is not for everybody. And I know recently or or last few years been talks about, you know, it's not for everybody and, and even learning a trade, but doing something to better your education and to better you as a person, you know, is always important. And you don't stop learning. I learn every day. We all do, you know, in talking to people and folks we run across. But my grandparents always in the back of my mind, it took me a while to graduate from college. So I wish I would have done it earlier and sooner. I was a architecture major when I first started college, then eventually moved over to accounting. And the accounting move was really because I wanted to own my own business one day. And I thought, you know, just talking to folks and saying uh, other accounting majors, you know, saying that accounting is a good route to go and talking to business owners, you know, I wish I knew more about my finances and my, the accounting and the books of my business. And so that's how I decided accounting. Is it something I felt like I was going to love? No. It was, well, I want to start a business. I don't know what that business is going to be, but I better, let me do accounting so I have some base, some foundation, a great foundation for starting a business. It just so happens that today I own a business doing accounting, and accounting is something I absolutely love and passionate about. So just hearing that, having my grandparents instill that in me early on as a kid, no matter how long it, it took me to graduate from college, I knew that I would be letting 
letting them down, but it wasn't about letting them down. I don't, I don't think they've ever looked at it that way. It's always, what are you going to do for yourself? So being able to walk that stage and obtain a college degree, I owe it all to my grandparents just constantly, constantly, essentially being on my case. And, and it wasn't that they were calling me and letting me know where I was with college. It was that I always heard their voice. If ever I felt like, oh, I'm going to drop a class, or I'm going to, because I was focused on working full time to pay my way through college, I couldn't. I had to graduate from college. So that's probably the best advice I've ever received was, was getting that college career, which has led me to, to the accounting profession, allowed me to meet great people in the accounting profession, to allow me to, to find, you know, make relationships, available resources, and, and ultimately led me to where we are today and where I'm at, where I am today and being able to, you know, grow a practice, be a part of something that links directly with my own personal mission and my own personal values. Makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I asked about mentors earlier and I think many people have a mentor that helps them along in their career. However, my experience has been, and, and from a lot of things I've read, the biggest influence on someone getting their career started, period, is family. So yeah, it sounds like you, there again, were very fortunate to have grandparents that really cared and, and many others, I'm sure. Well, this has been wonderful. If someone wants to get a hold of you outside this podcast, maybe just to follow up with other questions or, you know, who knows, maybe they have an interest in engaging with Shriver Carmona, what's the best way to reach you? Email is the best way to, okay. to, to reach me. And then from there, we can either set up a face-to-face visit or a phone call, whatever works best. But my email address would be the best way to contact me. C. Carmona, so that's C-C-A-R-M-O-N-A at S-C-C for Shriver Carmona and Company. And then there's a hyphen, cpa.com. Wonderful. C. Carmona at S-C-C-C-P-A.com. Wonderful. Yes, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time once again. I think this is going to be very, very beneficial to our listeners. And I hope to be able to talk to you again soon. Mark, I appreciate this opportunity again. And, you know, I want to personally thank you for all you're doing for the for our profession, what you do, because you, you're very involved in the community as well. And, you know, just want to thank you for that, for, for what you do for the profession, what you do in the community, and, you know, outside of your several other ventures and taking the time to do this. Good work, important work. And so I appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, you're too kind. No, thank you very much. Well, that was my interview with Chris Carmona of Shriver Carmona and Company. There are many nuggets of insight in this interview, and, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Among the parts that really spoke to me is, number one, we all need to be very cognizant of the individuals we have influence over in our lives that, that we can we can help better their situation because Chris obviously talked about the positive influence he had from his grandfather as well as his uncle, and I'm sure there are many other family members and, and friends that have had a positive influence on Chris and helped get him where he is today. Secondly, he talked a little bit about the difference between being an accountant somewhere and then having an accounting firm and how you have to transition from being not just a good technical individual, but you have to build up your leadership skills so that that you know how to treat your team members. He talked a little bit about a servant leadership style, which I think there's a, a lot of insight in those comments as well. 
I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Chris Carmona of Schreiber Carmona and Company. This wraps up another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you found it beneficial, please visit us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. You can listen to other episodes of the Life in Accounting podcast on the podcast page there. You can also visit the events section if you're looking to get to know other accounting professionals in your local community. We have events all across Texas listed there with the different accounting associations on the event page. And if you happen to be in the job market or have a friend that is, the job board that is housed at whereaccountsgo.com is also starting to get many, many listings. So please visit us for that as well. Until next time, as I always say, there's more to come.